All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> All right. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. As a church, we have spent 22 weeks studying, reflecting, wrestling with the content that is in the book called Hebrews. Um, I've had a good time. I hope you have as well. And this week is our final installment in the book of Hebrews. Yes, I love it. I know, someone's excited. <laughs> um, we're going to... Uh, we're going to conclude Hebrews by looking at the last few verses of chapter 13. And as we always do in our effort to honor God's word, may you stand for the reading of it. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through to 25 reads, Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Remember the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those, who de who, those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you 
with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. God, as we conclude Hebrews by exploring and examining who Jesus is. God, I pray that you would. You would do only what you can do. And that is to cause every single one of us to know and love your son Jesus Christ more. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. <clears throat> the title that I have given to this last installment of Hebrews is Jesus is Unchanging. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let's start with a bit of Greek, all right? The Greek word for the English word leaders is a general phrase, and it's a general phrase for every kind of leader. Um, however, in this context, it's talking about church leaders. And so the author of Hebrews is encouraging his first century um, Christian community to remember their leaders. And these are leaders, he says, that have faithfully and boldly taught them the word of God. And they're to remember these leaders so that they can what? They can consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Before we move on, let me do this. Let me remind you that God's word is timeless. What I mean by that is that God's word wasn't just relevant for the original recipients of this piece of literature. But God's word is timeless, meaning that in every generation... Every century, every time in human history, God's word is relevant. God's word is relevant, and everything that we're about to learn applies to us. This instruction um, applies to us as well, and so we are being 
instructed to not forget church leaders or Christians who have faithfully taught us the word of God. We're to think about all the good that came from their lives so that we can imitate their faith. And so the first question I have for you is, what leader do you know who has faithfully served you? What leader would you say has faithfully taught you the word of God and lived a faithful life? We are, from the outset, right here, being exhorted and instructed to remember them, think about them, and aim to love and live for Jesus the same way they did. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This verse right here has to be one of the most famous in the book of Hebrews. And so the question we have to ask is, how does it relate to the previous Verse, all right? We just read in verse 7 um, to, to, we are being encouraged there to imitate faithful leaders um, and to kind of like, um, and to re- relate, sorry, to relate, um, imitate faithful leaders. And so right here, we're being reminded that Jesus is the same yesterday, to, um, yesterday, today, and forever. And so we want to find out how this verse relates to the previous one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever is a huge statement. What it means is that Jesus is eternal. What that also means is that right now, as we have gathered here this morning to worship Jesus, We're not worshipping someone who is dead, but we are worshipping and aiming to order our lives around someone who is alive and actively involved in all of our lives. Jesus, being the same yesterday, today, and forever also means that his identity hasn't changed. Jesus is fully God. If you want to know what God is like, Scripture is telling us to look at Jesus because Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus wasn't only fully God, but he was fully man. Jesus... Being the same yesterday, today, and forever also means that his commands are still the same. His teachings are still relevant. His love for his church is still unconditional. And his promise of forgiveness of sins and eternal life for everyone, everywhere who accepts him as Lord and Savior is still available. Jesus is the same. And so, Christian, 
you are being encouraged to imitate the faith of leaders who have finished well by loving and living for the same Jesus they loved and lived for. And so the question is why? Because the same Jesus, these faithful leaders of the past radically served, is still alive and he's still actively at work in us and through us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so what does that mean for us? Because Jesus is unchanging, how shall we then live? First, because Jesus is unchanging, we must first resist Christless ideologies. It's a mouthful, but write it down quickly because I'm going to move on. Right, resist Christless ideologies. Look at verse 9. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And so to be led away in verse 9 can be applied to someone or something that is being carried away by the force of the wind or the downward stream of water. In this passage, it's used figuratively to refer to someone who's being led away from what is true by what is false. A quick reminder that this ancient book called Hebrews, we've spent 22 weeks studying, was originally written to Jews who had converted to Christianity. And these Jewish Christians are in danger of being led away from the path of truth by what is described in verse 9 as diverse and strange teachings. Diverse and strange teachings. And so the question is, what exactly are these diverse and strange teachings? Let's read verse 9. Again, it says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by faith, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Their strange and diverse teachings, which have the potential to lead them astray, was the belief that certain meals provided them with spiritual strength. I have a friend who's a spiritual kind of friend. He's just very spiritual. One day, he said to me, Obed, I want you to come round to my house. And I said, that will be lovely, my spiritual friend. <laughs> and he said, I want you to come round my house so we can hang out and drink some tea. I was like, yes, mate. Yeah, I want tea. I'm a Brit. You invite me over for tea. Of course I'm going to come. I, in my mind, I pictured us having a cup of tea, PG tips, whatever, and having biscuits and dipping it in and having just long and drawn out conversations about whatever we want. That was what I thought the cup of tea was going to be all about, but he had a 
different. He was inviting me to what he called a tea ceremony. All right. I've been to multiple weddings. I've done a ton of weddings, and I've been to weddings. I, was, I did a Vietnamese wedding recently where there was a tea ceremony, and that is what they do in that culture where you kind of um, bring two people together and you have tea, and it's kind of joining two worlds together. That's one tea ceremony. But my friend, the tea ceremony he was talking about, and I did some research, was this meditative practice that teaches people to turn the pleasurable routine of brewing and drinking tea into a ritual steeped in quiet intention. Um, there's, uh, I went online and there was an individual um, who was able to experience a tea ceremony for the first time, same thing, and she had this to say, it was like drinking from the earth. I felt the essence of this plant awaken my senses and open my heart. While my friend and so many others partake in this tea ceremony to experience inner peace and connect with themselves, at the time when Hebrews was written, many Jews sought spiritual experiences and strength from what is known as cultic mills. Cultic mills. During this mill, people would bless God, thank him for his grace, and share prayer requests. In essence, many of them believed this table fellowship established a link with the divinity, which in turn strengthened um, their hearts. Okay, and so they would partake in this meal with the intention of connecting with God and having their lives and their hearts strengthened. It seems like some of the Jewish Christians being addressed in this book were looking and practicing this tradition for the same purpose. They were looking at these table fellowship as a way of connecting with God and finding spiritual strength. And so the author of Hebrews is aware of this. He's aware that they are embracing aspects of Jewish community life and thought that are at odds with what the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ teaches. And so he reminds them that the grace of God, the grace of God, which is manifested in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that provides spiritual strength for a person. That is why in the verse, you've read it, he says, Don't be led away by divers and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And those who have participated in them, he's saying, it's been of no benefit to them. No benefit to them at all. Raymond Brown says this, It is grace which strengthens the believer's heart, not subscription to rules and the avoidance of prohibited foods. And so the question for all of us to think about is what 
are you relying on to give you spiritual strength? Are you looking to someone or something other than God's grace in Christ to give you spiritual strength? I wonder what diverse and strange teachings and ideologies have been leading you away from the truths of the gospel. What Christ-less ideologies have been leading you away from the truth that grace, the grace of God, manifested in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will provide you with true spiritual strength. So this morning, right here, we're being reminded to resist Christless ideologies. We're being reminded to not be led away by teachings and beliefs that insist that the health of your relationship with God is dependent on you, on what you need to do, rather than what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. I've got a question for you. What would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? If Satan was the mayor and in charge of a city, what would that city look like? Um, Over a century ago, Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario on what a city would look like if Satan was in charge. Uh, Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over a city, right, this is what would happen, all right? All of the bars would be closed, Pornography would be banished. Pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, mom, mom. And the churches would be full every Sunday. Churches would be full every Sunday where Christ was not preached. King's Cross Church, we are being reminded that we are all potentially prone to being led away by Christless ideologies. And so let's identify them and let's run and embrace our Savior Jesus Christ. That was the first one. Because Jesus is unchanging, we should resist Christless ideologies. Second, because Jesus is unchanging, we should embrace our rejected Savior. Look at verse 10. It says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. With these words, the author of Hebrews is coming, kind of coming back to um, the Day of Atonement. And if you've been with us in Hebrews, he's touched on and he's described and used the Day of Atonement to help us understand who Jesus is and why he's superior to everyone and everything. 
The Day of Atonement um, is a Jewish holiday devoted to atoning for sins. It's considered the holiest day of the year in Judaism. In Old Testament times, the main event of the Day of Atonement was when the high priest would atone for his sins and the sins of the people by sacrificing animals. Their sacrifices, the sacrifice of these animals, were made on an altar. When God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness, he also instructed him to make a place for sacrifices. And so during during the Day of Atonement, the priest would sacrifice an animal on the altar. And what he would do is he would drain some of the blood, put it in a cup, go into the tabernacle, into the holy place, dip his dip his fingers into the cup and sprinkle some of the blood on the furnishings in the tabernacle to purify it. Meanwhile, the dead body of the animal was taken outside of the camp and burned. Because of this, those under the old sacrificial system could not partake of this great offering as a meal. This ritual is what the author of Hebrews has in mind when he says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. But in verse 10, verse 10, the word altar here does not refer to a literal altar in the Old Testament time, but it's used as an image, as an image for the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Here, the author is pointing out similarities and differences between Jesus and the animals that were used for sacrifices. Jesus is similar because in the same way the bodies of animals were was used was used for sacrifices are burned outside the camp Jesus suffered and died outside the gate of the city of Jerusalem when he was crucified but Jesus is very different from the sacrificial animals because he suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify sanctify the people through his own blood And so what does this all mean for us? How should we respond to all of this? Look at verse 13. It says this. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. In Old Testament times, Someone known to be outside of the camp meant that he or she was excluded from the presence of God. And so anyone outside the camp was viewed as an outsider. Someone who was unclean and not allowed to be in God's presence. But Jesus' death and resurrection changed everything. His death outside the camp 
made it possible for outsiders to enter into God's presence. This means that through Jesus, God is accessible to anyone on this planet who will come to him. And going to Jesus isn't going to make life easy and comfortable. In fact, going to Jesus outside the camp also means we'll have to bear the reproach he endured. Reproach is an expression of disapproval through rebuke, being put to shame, scolding, criticism, disapproval. When we go to Jesus, when we identify with Jesus, we will experience disgrace just like he did. Reproach will come our way in many ways. We're not only called to identify with Jesus' suffering and rejection, but we're also expected to offer new sacrifices, sacrifices of praise and generosity. Um, Look at verse 6, 15 and 16. It says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Verse 16, Do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Because Jesus is unchanging, we're to resist Christless ideologies and we're to embrace our rejected Savior. Lastly, lastly, because Jesus is unchanging, we're to obey godly leaders. This is where it gets really interesting. The author of Hebrews has more to say to us about leaders in the church. In verse 7, if you remember, right, he advised um, us to remember and imitate former leaders. And now in verse 17, and we're going to read it in a bit, we're encouraged to obey and submit to godly leaders. Let's look at verse 17 again. Let's read it. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is what I'm confident of. I'm confident that we're comfortable with the instruction to remember awesome leaders and imitate them. But I'm also confident when we're thinking about leaders, especially church leaders, what makes us uncomfortable is being instructed to obey and submit to them. Russell Moore says this, We live in a culture more accustomed to questioning authority than submitting to it. Uh, 
Those in leadership are often viewed with mistrust rather than respect. Many have felt the sting of poor leadership in their homes, churches, and government. For some, this word is associated with weakness and inability rather than strength and dignity. The struggle to obey and submit to leadership is real. That's why one author said, out of all the biblical texts, the Christian, Christians may hope his pastor um, neglects to teach. Hebrews 13, 17 may sit near the top of the list. So here we are. I would also said one of the most challenging passages for any pastor to teach is this one. There are many reasons why people struggle to obey and submit to church leaderships. For some of you, the thought of submitting to church leaders makes you sick to your stomach because you've been deeply hurt by immoral and abusive leaders in the past. Or maybe um, you've heard so many horror stories about corrupt leaders that the thought of obeying the leaders in your church just makes you cringe. Or maybe some of you struggle to submit to church leadership because you just want to do whatever you want to do without having someone telling you what to do. In other words, you have embraced cultures, the culture's mindset of being anti-authoritarian. Author David Mathis describes this as the true source of our discontent with being led because we love ourselves and desire to be the leader of ourselves. People have become profoundly skeptical about leadership in our day and age, and yet... As we come to this concluding chapter of Hebrews, we're exhorted to not just imitate godly leaders, but we're also expected to obey and submit to them. Let's do this. What about when not to submit to leadership in the church? When is it within reason to not obey or submit to church leadership? When is it all right to, to reject the, the advice or the uh, whatever the, the recommend, whatever of a church leadership? When is it okay not to obey or submit to church leadership? First, you don't have to submit to church leaders when they want you to obey their preferences rather than biblical principles. When what they want you to do is not clearly articulated in scripture, you don't need to submit to them. Why? This is why. Because the authority they have comes from what God has said in the Bible. 
not what they think is best based on personal preferences. And so, a church leader can tell you not to date someone who's not a Christian. That's biblical. A church leader can tell you that. Like, here's scripture. Don't date someone who's not a Christian if you consider yourself a Christian. But they cannot tell you not to date someone who's maybe younger or older than you. A church leader can go to scripture and tell you to be generous and give. But they can't tell you how much and how often to give. And so, a church leaders, you don't have to submit to them when they want you to obey their preferences rather than what is clearly articulated in Scripture. Chuck Smith says, A leader should teach us to submit to God, not himself. Second, you do not submit to church leaders when they ask you to do something sinful. Never, never say yes or do something that you know is sinful, no matter who tells you to do it. And so, obey and submit the leaders of your church only if what they ask of you does not violate biblical principles, but actually is in line with the Bible and what Scripture says. R. Kent Hughes has this to say. He says this, We must understand that this does not mean unqualified blanket obedience. Neither does it provide the basis for authoritarian churches. This call to obedience was never meant to entice anyone to contradict biblical morality or individual conscience. And so, if you're a member of King's Cross Church, why are you being advised to obey and submit to the leaders of this church? Look again at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Stop right there. To keep watch here literally means to be sleepless. Um, to lie awake in bed and be thinking about something. The Greek word for keep watch wants you to imagine this, wants you to picture shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. In those days, shepherds had to stay alert in order to guard their sheep from predators. They had to know the sheep and observe them carefully enough to know when a sheep was sick or missing. Here, it's used figuratively, and it means to stay alert, to remain vigilant, fully aware of threatening peril. And so the picture, figurative picture, is of a leader who is spiritually alert and wide awake to spiritual predators. Verse 18. 
your doctor is responsible for your overall health. Your accountant or Dave Ramsey <laughs> exists to help you manage your finances well. Your dentist, your teeth, your personal trainer, your abs and your biceps. But the leaders of your church are responsible for your soul. They have been given, me, Dan, Jeremy, we've been given the responsibility of soul watching, of keeping watch over your soul. And so the question is, what does it look like for us to keep watch over your soul? It looks like prioritizing getting to know you guys. Spending time with you. As much time as we can to know you and get to understand who you are and what your life is like. We keep watch over your soul when we faithfully teach you the word of God. Hebrews has been intense. It's been intense. As a church, we subscribe to a kind of preaching that is called expositional preaching. What this means is that most of the time we take a book of the Bible, okay, and we're not going to choose kind of parts of the Bible. We take a book of the Bible and just walk through it, take a section at a time, a Sunday, and unpack it and try and understand it. That's Tough sometimes, especially when we're talking about obeying and submitting to leadership. It's tough. But by God's grace, he's given us courage to faithfully keep watch over your soul by proclaiming to you the whole counsel of his word. And not skipping this and that because it makes you uncomfortable. Like throughout Hebrews, we've talked about judgment. Last week, we talked about money and marriage and sexual immorality. Like we've covered it all. But by us committing to faithfully preaching through God's word, this is one of the ways we're keeping watch over your soul. Another way is praying for you. Um, Dan, Jeremy and I, we've made it a habit to pray for you guys weekly. And not just pray for the church as a whole. Whenever someone is in need and we hear about it, we want to pursue them, see how they're doing and pray for them. This is the way. The other way that we keep watch over your soul is that we have to be willing to tell you when you're wrong. When you're when you're drifting and being led away from truth, we have to be willing to do that. And the last way we keep watch over your soul is to keep watch over our own souls. When we keep watch over our own soul, when we care for our own soul, that's when we can make caring for you a priority.
spiritual, the spiritual responsibility we have as your church leaders comes with a higher level of judgment. And so the commitment to watch over your soul is motivated by the reality. Look at verse, look at verse 7 again. The reality that um, as those who will have to give an account. Church leaders will one day stand before God and give account of how we have led you. Uh, when I first got to America and I passed my Amer- I got my American driver's license, um, the whole stop sign thing was like weird to me because we don't have that in England. We just have roundabouts. It's simple. The stop, you have to, even if there's no car there, you have to stop. What's that about? <laughs> so I was like, this doesn't make sense. And so one day I'm driving on the road and I saw a stop sign and I was like, there's no car. And so I just went straight through it. <laughs> Not long after I crossed this stop, I didn't stop at the stop sign, I heard a police car. I stopped. He walks, roll down my window. He looks at me and goes, you just, like, you just, tell me, why did you just cross this stop sign? I said to him, mate, I'm British. I don't know what's happening. What does that even mean? I'm on holiday. (laughs) Just like amplified my British accent. Just pretended I didn't. I didn't know that. I, ju- I didn't. I should have. But I, I kind of explained to him and I said, okay, yeah, I'm, yes, I did it. I'm sorry and everything like that. Uh, you know, and it was, you know, he kind of let me off. But that day, I learned what it means to give an account for how I drive. Now, break, now crossing the stop sign is one thing. But imagine having to give an account for the souls of human beings. And having to give that account, not to a policeman, but to the risen Lord and Master Jesus Christ, is sobering when I think about it. Your leaders... The leaders of your church, as Dan, Jeremy, and I, in whatever church you go to, your leaders are responsible for your soul. And one day we will stand before God and give an account for how we've led you. This is a sobering fact. And so we do our best to love and serve you as leaders in a way that glorifies God Because one day we will stand before God and give an account for how well we've led you guys. Our responsibility is to keep watch over your soul. That's our responsibility. So the question is, what about yours? Yes, we've kind of touched on obeying and submitting, what does that kind of look like? Look at verse 17 again. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Here we go. Your responsibility. 
This is where you come in, okay? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. One of your responsibilities as a church member is to do all you can to make sure your church leaders lead with joy. You should want those in authority over you to be able to say, God, thank you. Thank you for this person. It's a joy to lead him or her rather than, oh, Lord. (laughs) Help us with this person. Woo, they're difficult. And so how can you help us serve you with joy? There are lots of practical ways to do it. And let me just say, man, like um, Dan, Jeremy, and I, and we would attest, you know, they would agree with this. You guys, we do serve you guys with joy. We do. You guys have done so much to help us lead you with joy. Practically, you know, the gifts you've given us, the encouragement you give us, um, you guys, you know, at times help in so many ways. And so we've led with joy, but there's an author called Jared Wilson, and he suggests that the way, one of the ways you can help us lead with joy is by encouraging us with what he calls Faithful graciousness, faithful graciousness. And he describes it in this way. He says, faithful graciousness means consistently and diligently choosing to glorify Christ with your words and deeds rather than satisfying your own wants and needs. It is a way of Christian living that contributes to the overall peace and harmony of a church body. It means not nitpicking. It means not complaining about personal preferences. Faithful graciousness works toward being low maintenance, low maintenance, not working at any of those puny-hearted and petty things that cause pastors to groan. And so King's Cross Church embrace faithful graciousness because when you do it helps us lead you with joy but the most important way you can help us serve you guys with joy is revealed in verse 18 look at it it says pray for us for we are sure that we have a that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more honestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pray for us, guys. Pray for your church leaders. Set a reminder on your phone to pray for your leaders. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. On Thursday, on Friday, our kids had their first sleepover at their friend's house. And Eleanor and I, we went out for dinner, just had a great time. We went out to the bar, and we, no, we didn't. We just (laughs) went out to dinner, a really nice restaurant. And when we got home, when we got in the house, we were like, man, the house is so quiet. 
This is the first time our house has been quiet for a long time, and it's just the two of us. And then we started to think about how, you know, in a, in, you know, in a short amount of time, our kids are going to be older, and they're going to be gone, and it's just going to be to the two of us. And that got me thinking about the fact that, like everything else, so many, so many things in life changes. So many things in life changes. Everyone and everything will change. But this is reminding us that Jesus will remain the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews concludes with a bold proclamation that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as a result of Jesus being unchanging, this beckons us and invites us to resist any ideology that tries to remove Jesus from the center of our lives. And it encourages us and invites us to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The book of Hebrews has done this. It sharpened our vision and a and, and, and our view of, of who Jesus is. And who Jesus is, is that he's not just a guy who lived in history, who said some great things, gained a follower, and died. But hear this. Jesus Christ of Nazareth died, he rose again, and he is alive and actively involved in, on this planet that we live on. He really is, and one day he will appear and he will judge the world and welcome his bride, the church, into his presence. This is a reality. And I pray and hope as a result of going through the book of Hebrews, you have become increasingly aware that what we learn and what we study is reality. Jesus is reality. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> There's so much to thank you for as we sing and reflect on not just what we've heard this morning, but what we've been hearing throughout 22 weeks. We've been studying Hebrews. God, only you can, only you can bring to bear and shape our lives with these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.